0: Good evening. This is Tomorrow Christian Today, reading Numbers 11 in the NLT. But first and always, we pray. Dear Lord, thank you for a Monday. Thank you for a good start to the week. Help us now as we study your word. We want to read your word. We want to hear from you personally, Lord, the creator, the recreator of us, the one who is going to give us eternal life, who created the universe, perfect, who is perfect, who sent your son, We thank you for being such a loving Father. We thank you for caring about us, giving us fellowship, living inside of us, Lord, giving us the mediator, King Jesus, to be between us and you, Lord, so that we could call you Father. Help us now, Lord, as we read your word. Give us a gift of your Holy Spirit that we may have spiritual discernment and understand the words that you're giving us and and be able to work according to the perspective that you have given each of us because each of us is a little bit different and sees things in a different way. Help us to give grace to each other as you give us grace. I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Let's read Numbers 11. The people complained to Moses. This doesn't sound good. Soon the people began to complain about their hardship, and the Lord heard everything they said. Like, what? I'm a victim, I'm a victim, I'm a victim. You know, my pastor said that one-third of the Psalms is a lament. Uh, so one-third of the Psalms, he said, is a lament. So I don't know what's the difference between a lament and a complaint. Maybe a lament is something that's really bothering you, but then you realize God's will be done. Like, I think Jesus was lamenting in the Garden of Gethsemane. Like, Lord, is there another way? Like, uh, he knew what was going to happen, but is there another way? Is there a way that this cup can pass for me? But then he says, nevertheless, your will be done. Versus a complaint when you're always complaining about something. Some people don't even know they're complaining. That's the problem. Then the Lord's anger blazed against them and he set fire to rage among them. Set a fire to rage among them and he's destroyed some of the people in the outskirts of the camp. Well, where there's God, where there's, God, there's fire, right? There's Holy Spirit fire. Then the people screamed to Moses for help and when he prayed to the Lord, the fire stopped. After that, the area was known as Tibera, which means the place of burning Because fire from the Lord has burned among them there. So I don't know what happened to those people. I don't know if they're gone or erased from all eternity. If they're somewhere else or they're going to be resurrected in the second resurrection. I have no idea. But, But it means a place of burning, right? So the fire stopped. So God's fire is eternal, but the fire stops when God says it stops. Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. The foreign rabble. <laughs> wow, that's <laughs> this is really uh, started out in quite a positive way. And the people of Israel also began to complain. So there's a lot of complaining going on. It's, it's kind of catching fire, right? It's like a fire, it's catching. But as we can see, the fire answers the complaining fire. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. So I guess we don't want to be vegetarian anymore. We don't want to be eating bread. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. And we had all the cucumbers melons leeks onions and garlic we wanted but now our appetites are gone all we ever see is this manna so they're eating the same thing day after day but i think that they've kind of forgotten what it's like to be in egypt you don't they didn't have any rights there they were slaves they were beaten right so when they say all these things are they like exaggerating a little bit they had all the food that they wanted everything was peachy keen I mean, people in North America, we got everything we want. We still complain about everything. No matter what we have, we still complain, complain, complain about everything anyways. We don't have this and we don't have that. So, you know, consumerism is built on this. You'll be happy if you have a 20 inch LED TV. Before you weren't living life to the fullest. Now with our full screen, you can have it all. You can be in the midst of the action, even though you're sitting on your chair doing absolutely nothing. So, the Lord, you know, I mean, I wonder if the Lord can roll his eyes, because this is the exact time when you do. And I've complained, so I really have to look at myself in the mirror and say, you know what, Lord, I can really point the finger at these people. But as my ex-mother-in-law used to say, three fingers point back at me. So I really, I can't really plead that I'm so much more superior than they are. Okay. Verse seven, the manna looked like small coriander seeds and it was pale yellow, like gum resin. The people would go out and gather it from the ground. They made flour by grinding it with hand mills or pounding it in mortars. Then they boiled it in a pot and made it into flat cakes. These cakes tasted like pastries baked with olive oil. That doesn't sound bad. The manna came down in the camp with the dew during the night. So God is feeding these people with the bread. Sort of like Jesus is like the living bread from heaven. Okay, so the manna is, is, is real physical food, but it's a symbol of the spiritual food the Lord Jesus Christ gives to all those who believe in him. Verse 10, Moses heard all the families standing in the doorways of their tents whining, and the Lord became extremely angry. Moses was also very aggravated. Does God get angry? I mean, who is writing this? Is this Moses talking? Is this somebody else? Is this somebody sort of putting on to God like a human reaction? Uh, You know, I'm not sure because these are God's words, but yet God approved that these words would be written by a person that is filled by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit but it says Moses was also very aggravated. So it sounds like somebody else is writing this and maybe it's compiled together into the book of Numbers. And Moses said to the Lord, why are you treating me your servant so harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Honestly, sometimes when I hear pastors talk, they'll say things like, it's a thankless job. Um, you don't get any thanks for it. Draw a bullseye on your back. Like, I, I don't know, sometimes I wonder, why did they tell me this? Is, are they having a hard job? Do they like what they're doing? My present pastor—he always looks happy. He absolutely loves what he's doing. You know, my pastor is just like—I just really like the new pastor, and he's just so positive and the prayers. And he reads the Word of God from the script from the, um, you know, from the pulpit. He reads it at the end. He reads it at the beginning. He prays. He does the sermon. You know, and um, I just really—we had to wait a long time for him, and I think the wait was worth it. And his wife is very funny. She's very, she says, you know, he's a man of the book. And then she gives a little laugh, you know, she gives a little cute laugh. Just me, I can only take a little bit of tidbits of theology at a time. <laughs> he, he's a man of the book. Oh, the book, the book, the book. <laughs> but, but she seems very, very nice. So I really like them both. I got a good feeling about them. Really, I do. Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into the world? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? How can I carry them to the land you swore to give their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep whining to me saying, give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Oh man, this is really bad. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. So I don't think Moses is writing this. I think that somebody is really looking at this from a third party perspective and really just kind of writing this down, you know, and is Moses, like Moses is very human. Like he's over 80 years old. You know, these people are just non-cooperative. Have you ever tried to lead people? I'm not a leader. I, I think there are some guys that that really motivate people and get people to do what they know to be is they they somehow motivate people to do something that is good for the leader to get accomplished but it's also he makes them buy into the fact that it's good for them and I think Moses is definitely a leader but it's really hard when you're pushing people and they don't want to do anything you know we we pastor said don't nobody likes to be pushed but he says you know we're trying to walk and we're trying to lead people to Christ some people need to get pushed they sound like actually whiny brats You know, I mean, I don't think it's really easy walking around the desert personally. I don't think it's really the most hospitable environment that ever was on the face of the earth. I can think of better, like an oasis maybe, you know, with somebody like, you know, fanning you and giving you a really tropical looking drink and making sure you're not sweating buckets. So I don't really think the desert is really a wonderful place to be at for a long period of time. But the thing is, they've got their freedom now. They've left Egypt in the dust and all they're doing is whining and complaining. They have forgotten very, I think we forget very quickly what it was like in our life before. Like I was thinking the other day I was complaining and then I kind of stopped and realized, you know what, what a thrill it is to be a Christian. Like I have a living savior at the right hand of God. Like Jesus is alive, you know, he's not dead. Like you say this by faith, but really, if you say it by faith and you say he's your savior, he can't be your savior and be dead. Like maybe he's not right in front of your face, but you can hear God's conscience. You can hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you. You can close your eyes and pray and you can imagine that you see Jesus. And he's always he's always happy and upbeat. He's not got a snarl on his face. He's not looking at you with his eyes, eyes getting as big as plates. You know, just like, oh, you messed up again, you loser. Like that's not how he was. You know, he was a masculine man. He was tough, but kind, But but he's kind. Like we serve the alpha male of all the males, and He's kind. We serve a living Savior. We serve somebody who is alive, just like I'm alive. We serve somebody who's sitting right next to us and is pleased that we are reading God's Word. Because really, what is it just to please God and Jesus? To say thank you for what you've done, for giving us eternal life. today. Uh, and you U-Version Bible, um, it was the um, cartoons from the Bible prophecy. I shouldn't say cartoons, they're really much more than that. They're really animated stories, and it was about the new heaven and new earth merging with this old world and this old heaven. And it's merging, and as that, as it merges, this world convulses. This world goes into shudders and shocks, because this world is dying. This world is dying as the merge happens, and then one day, the spiritual space is going to totally take over um, the earthly space and it's gonna the two shall be one. And this earthly space doesn't like it. And that's why Satan is so angry because he knows his time is short. But the Bible is speaking the truth because it's happening right in front of us. It's happening, folks. Like when all of this stuff going on, I haven't even looked at the war. I can't even bear myself to look at these images anymore of this... Conflagration of this of this violence and and this Hamas and this this violence the, and there should be violence in the earth of Genesis six fourteen. The word for violence is Hamas. Like honestly, this means that the new earth is coming closer. Jesus, the new covenant, the new covenant savior, is coming closer to us. We should be really putting our feet flat on the ground, sitting up and take stock of what's going on. Our Savior is coming. He said he would, and he's coming. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. Verse 16, then the Lord said to Moses, gather before me 70 men who are recognized as elders and teachers of Israel. Bring them to the tabernacle to stand there with you. I will come down and talk to you there. I will take some of the spirit that is upon you and I will put the spirit upon them also. They will bear the burden of the people along with you, so you will not have to carry it alone. God is giving us His Spirit. His Spirit is on us. It's not just some word. You know, it's not just some word that God is using to try to psychologically get us to think that God is with us. He's giving us something, some measure of Himself. Some measure of God's mind and thinking is dwelling in us. And say to the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow you will have meat to eat. You were whining and the Lord heard you when you cried. Oh, for some meat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you'll have to eat it. And it won't be just for a day or two, or for five or 10 or even 20. You will eat it for a whole month until you gag and are sick of it, for you have rejected the Lord who is here among you. And you have whined to him saying, "'Why did we ever leave Egypt?' So I don't think that Moses really appreciated their, uh, their way of speaking to God. I don't think they, he really appreciated their pride. You know, you can always request something from God with humility and meekness. But, you know, and I think I've done that. Today I was thinking, Lord, I keep asking you for all the things I want. Like, who's the servant here? You're the servant or I'm the servant? It's like, wait a second, I'm the servant. God is the one. You know, you can ask God something, you can tell God what's in your heart, but I want this and I want that. I'm kind of guilty of of coming to God with a whole bunch of requests. Did I actually even care what he thinks? The answer is no. Verse 21, but Moses responded to the Lord, there are 600,000 foot soldiers here with me. And yet you say, I will give them meat for a whole month. Even if we butchered all our flocks and herds, would that satisfy them? Even if we caught all the fish in the sea, would that be enough? Then the Lord said to Moses, has my arm lost its power? Now you will see whether or not my word comes true. Well, the last thing I want to do is dicker is with God. But I think God is reminding Moses, he's not having faith. You know, I had, I had some really positive conversations with some of my old mates in the old church, and they're really thinking and asking questions. And it was a really nice discussion we had. It was just one of the best. You know, we used to weaponize the Bible and fire at each other, just horrible, you know. And I'm just thinking, wow, maybe the Lord is working, you know, he's working on them. They're getting older, I'm getting older. We're too old to fight about religion. We want relationship with God and each other, because that fills you up, that makes you feel good. That, you know, there's, there's, there's power in solidarity. You know, Hebrews 10:25, forsake not the assembling of yourselves. Pastor Don is preaching about Nehemiah chapter four, and he's saying, you can't be, um, he says, this society is guilty of a crime where it says that you can pursue God by yourself. He says, people have bought into this lie. You need to be part of a church. You need to go and listen to the word. You need to have resources. You need to serve. I don't tell you what to think. I ask you to think about what I tell you. But Pastor Don is a lot smarter than I am. And if that's what he says that God's word says, I definitely look at that. He gathered the 70 elders and stationed them around the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to Moses. Then he gave the 70 elders the same spirit that was upon Moses. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. But this never happened again. Two men, Eladad and Midad, had stayed behind in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but they had not gone out to the tabernacle. Yet the Spirit rested upon them as well, so they prophesied there in the camp. A young man ran and reported to Moses, Eladad and Midad are prophesying in the camp. I think there were 70 people chasing after Jesus, 70 or 72. And I I remember a pastor was saying, you know, in the Old Testament, the way it's written, the Holy Spirit rests on somebody like, like a coat. It's on the top of you, you know. it's resting on you. And then in the New Testament, it's the Spirit is living in you. Is that just to show the difference between the two covenants? Like, is that just a different way of writing the same thing? I have no idea. But I do remember that the pastor had said that there was a difference between how it, it had been written that the Holy Spirit interacted. It's almost as if they say the Holy Spirit is on top of you like a cloak, but he's not actually permeate, permeating and marinating and and becoming part of you intrinsically, I don't know. Maybe God had that written that specific way to make a point about the old covenant and the new covenant. But however it works, the Holy Spirit in the new covenant is living in you. You are the temple of God. You are the church. Christ in you and you in Christ. It's integration. And if your church is that, if your body is a temple, you should keep it well. You know, there you don't. As Paul said. Um, Everything is lawful, but not everything is expedient. Verse 27, a young man ran and reported to Moses. Eliad and Melodad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' assistant since his youth, protested, Moses, my master, make them stop. Oh, I thought it was a good thing, but Joshua doesn't seem to really um, like this. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them all. Then Moses returned to the camp with the elders of Israel. You know, that's real meekness. He was really meek. Like he didn't say, oh, these guys are challenging my ministry. He actually wants to to share with everybody. You know who I found was really really meek and and humble? It was David Pawson. Like when I see see, uh, some of his videos and then I saw a video when he was a little bit older, and he was talking uh, to somebody in a stadium, but he was a lot older, he was, his hair was very white, and you could tell the voice had aged. And he was just so humble, the way he gave so much credit and validation to other younger people who had been studying the Bible. And you're thinking to yourself, yeah, he just he's humble, he's kind, he's decent, but giving so much credit to people, and yet he's so learned himself, so intelligent, so wise. And yet, rather than just sort of marinate and sit in his own pride, he wanted to uplift and exalt other people and make them feel special. And I see this with Moses here. I, I see that, I don't tell you what to think, I ask you to think about what I tell you. He, he's not challenged if other people um, are greater. In fact, John the Baptist said about Jesus, he must increase, I must decrease. Man, that's humility. The meek shall inherit the earth some of these dudes who got all these ministries and they're so proud and they're superstars honestly you know everybody starts out humble but then the power comes to you like when you have lots of power and people are listening to you and you still stay humble and you don't mind sharing the spotlight with someone else you are indeed special and filled with the holy spirit verse 31 now the lord sent a wind that brought quail from the sea and let them fall all around the camp For miles in every direction. There were quail flying about three feet above the ground. So the people went out and caught quail all the day and throughout the night and all the next day too. No one gathered less than fifty bushels. Boy, fifty bushels of dead quail. I don't really find that very attractive, but they did want meat. They spread the quail all around the camp to dry. Oh boy, all these dead birds. But they were but while they were gorging themselves on the meat while it was in their mouths. The anger of the Lord blazed against the people and he struck them with a severe plague. So that the place was called Kibroth Havata, which means graves of gluttony. Isn't, isn't gluttony part of the seven deadly sins? Because there, were, there they buried the people who had crave meat from Egypt. From Kibroth Hathavah, the Israelites traveled to Hazeroth where they stayed for some time. Maybe that was God's way of weaning out people who are just you know, Israelite in a name, but they're not Israelite in their thinking. You know, these are people who kind of hide under religion or hide in church, saying they're believers, but they're actually just, in the name of Jesus, my will be done. Uh, Maybe that's what God was doing here. Don't quite understand why they had to die. Don't quite understand why God's reaction is so severe. And I don't wish to tar God at all. I just read things and I don't understand. and And I pray, Lord, i want to understand as i'm reading i want to understand i know you are good but this seems a little harsh i want to try to understand if it be your will why did they have to die like that maybe they were complaining and they didn't know what they were saying and you are a merciful god a kind god and a loving god and you don't like complaints you don't like people who are um Ungrateful, And I'm, I'm the same way. Lots of people are the same way. You don't want to do something for somebody who never says thank you to you, who's never appreciative and grateful. Like, why bother? Because you can't win with such people like that. But maybe the Lord will make it clearer as we read His Word. Thanks for listening. God bless you all. Take care.